This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week chatting to Freya Berry off the back of her critically acclaimed debut, The Dictator's Wife. She returns with the Birdcage Library. We discuss her research, not too bad, searching around Scottish castles. Also, why it's the themes that give her inspiration. And you can hear how writing her second novel has changed her view of what it means to have to create for a living. If you're writing for the love of it, there's a purity to that and there's a joy to that, which um, uh, which can become more elusive when you're doing it um, professionally, quote unquote. So, yeah, it's just something that I've had to, to, to make my peace with. As I say, it makes me get up in the mornings and just do it a bit more. Um, than it might otherwise would um, but you have to be careful to you know keep the passion of it and, and and not sort of lose that lose that creative magic I think it's all on the way in a brand new episode of Writer's Routine Yes, welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day. We pull back the curtain, see where and how they work, how they set up their day and their life to give them the best chance of getting words down on the page. And this week we are sponsored by Plotter, which is a writing software which can give you the best chance of getting words down on the page. Plotter is a tool that does what it says. It plots, it helps you plan your books the way that you think, stripping everything back with timelines, outlines, notes, your details on characters and places in a really simple way for you to navigate, for you to switch and swap. It's like having the most in-depth notebook, but always with you living in your computer. It lets you track all the details of your plot at a scene level and then switch, swap and use them however you want. Plotter helps you spend more time writing and less time worrying about the fuss of writing. Now, the best way for you to see what it does and how stunning it looks is by getting to go.plotter.com and taking a look around. And while you're there with this show, you can get 10% off the software until the end of the year. I've got the link down on the episode notes wherever you're listening. So click on that, take a look around and then see if you fancy just making your writing day so much simpler. To make that happen, get to go plotter.com slash routine now this week we're chatting with freya berry a few years ago freya left her job and gave herself a year more or less to write a novel 
Uh, to get that done, she had to write hard and she had to write often, and the work was worth it. It turned into The Dictator's Wife, which was a BBC Two Between the Covers pick, and she's followed that up with The Birdcage Library. It follows Emily Blackwood in 1932, a young adventuress tasked by an exotic animal collector to hunt down a long-lost treasure hidden within a castle. And then we learn about the deeper, darker hunt that Emily gets drawn into. We discussed how she was inspired by a human interest feature article, but really how it's the themes of the story that properly inspires her and makes her keep coming back to find out more about what's happening. Also how much she knows about the road ahead of her as she sits down to write it. You can hear how she's keen to leave herself space in the story to seize ideas. So she's got the plan, she's got the roadmap, but she likes enough breathing space so she can be spontaneous and go down side roads when they happen. We run through how three years later... We're still talking about the effect that lockdown had on our work and continues to have. And we run through why she keeps listening to the same song for hours and hours and how that helps with her writing. It's all on the way with Freya Berry and we kick things off as we always do with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. So um, I write in um, two different places. So I work at a, a local cafe where there's a nice big glass window um, facing outside um, onto a quiet little street. Um, there's often somebody who washes cars just outside. So I um, uh, kind of end up staring at him quite quite a lot while, while thinking about something else. I don't know if he finds that weird or not. Um, so, so yeah, sort of surrounded by people um, in, that, in that cafe, which is lovely. Um, there's always baking bread and rolls and so on, which is nice. Um, and then the other place that I work is the uh, the London Library um, in in central London, and that is um, yeah very quiet. They have a million books in their collection, and it's a properly old school sort of place where you can find sort of gentlemen of a certain age falling asleep in their armchairs after lunch. So so that's quite a nice <laughs> quite a nice counterpart as well. What is it about your home that means you don't want to write there? I, I, I very rarely get an author who like exclusively does not write at home. Yeah, so I I think I've done too much of it. So when everyone in COVID was discovering working at home, I was already sort of over it. Um, and then doing lockdown, um, I actually wrote a lot of the Birdcage Library at at, at home. Um, and uh, it it's at the, uh, I think you need stimulus as a writer, or I certainly do, and I need company. I don't have to be interacting with it, but I like having people around. And I think after just doing a lot of homework, I thought, you know what, I would I get more done if I'm if I'm outside. Otherwise, the temptation is to sit in your pajamas all day, and <laughs> I've done that too. And yeah, it's it's it, it, for me. I sort of um, become a sort of reclusive hamster type person, so I try not to do that so much anymore. You talk about stimulus. How do you find that affects you? Like what inspiration do you get from just having other people around being able to look out of a cafe window? Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because with lockdown, everyone was um, talking about how oh, it would be a great time for writing novels. You know, all you need is peace and quiet. For me, it's the opposite. You know, I, I sort of rot away with too much solitude. Um, and so and, and I was living in the uh, in the Welsh countryside at the time. Um, of lockdown and and after it lifted we moved we moved back to London um partly because yeah I just you know you never know what's going to happen when you're surrounded by people in life um you know you're constantly noticing things and I find that incredibly rejuvenating um that ability to, to watch and 
um, and participate in life, um, I think that encourages interaction for me um, rather than sort of becoming a passive observer, which I'm at risk with when there's too 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 much tranquility. Even though you 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 know leave to go and write to be around things, how much of the time do you spend locked away with headphones and music or something like that? Oh, so I like I like writing to music. I've I resisted it for a long time because I thought I couldn't. Um, you know, Philip Pullman talks about being able to hear the rhythm of a sentence before you write it. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, I found um, slightly for me, the get around is to listen to the same song on repeat for hours on end. Um, so I very much did that uh, with, with the Birdcage Library. I listened to a lot of Billie Eilish and Lana Del Rey. Um, so the same sort of four songs probably um, for, for hours on end. So if, they're, if their streaming numbers have gone up massively, then that's probably just mostly me. Kind of m- moody young people exactly exactly it's a gothic mystery the novel so i had to get in my sort of best emo self here's a question when you go to the london library or when you go to your cafe what do you take with you what's in your bag so um i obviously have my laptop with me my beloved macbook and i recently uh got um got a, a keyboard stand and so on to stop my my posture sort of degrading further into Quasimodo-like status. Um, but um, I've also actually started recently, and this feels so basic, it's embarrassing, I, I was carrying a pen and paper around with me, which I hadn't really done for a while. Um, I'm sort of thinking about book three at the moment, when you're doing writing writing development, um, developing an idea, I like to have, um, I like to be able to touch touch things, you know, to have the thinginess around me. I find that helps me think um, in a way that just a keyboard doesn't. So so I'm carrying around random bits of paper. I'd love to get a beautiful notebook, but I know I'll be too scared to use it. So carrying around increasingly ratty bits of A4 um, while I work on that. And beyond that, yeah, I'm, I think that's the end of my writerly tools. Um, so maybe a couple of tea bags the London Library, and that's about it. What type of notes do you make on this A4? Um, so what I like to do is I like to go for a long walk um, when I'm trying to think up ideas. Um, it took me a long time because um, to, to really work out what writing is. It's not necessarily being at a keyboard. Um, and it took me some uh, quite quite a long time to figure that out, that actually just because you're behind a computer doesn't mean you're actually writing. Um, a lot of writing takes place when you're not looking, obviously not the actual typing itself, but... Um, you know the ideas, the um, the revelations, the the sudden twists, or you know just sitting down with the characters and letting them surprise you. Um, so I like to go, yeah, like like to go for a long walk um, or even a short walk and just sort of really mull things over in my mind. Um, let myself slide into that half focus, which is where I and uh, half focus, half playfulness, which I think is where all the best ideas are to be found. If I were following you and a sheet of paper dropped from your hand and I picked up this scrap of A4, would I be able to make out anything that it says? Would it, not not the legibility, but would it make sense or is it just scrawled words? Um, you might be able to make a bit of sense. I mean, yes, legibility, definitely an issue, but I think it's um, it'll be more sort of sudden, um, excited scribbles, um, you know, things like... Um, you know, clocks, Berlin, um, and which might not mean so much to you. But then, you know, the odd sort of sentence that I feel like has just come into mind and, and, and needs to be put in, um, uh, maybe a little bit of a character description here and there. I like to think up, um, uh, as almost start with a theme when I'm planning a new book. Um, you know, for, for the Birdcage Library, it's, you know, the cages we build other people and ourselves um, for the dictator's wife. 
uh, my debut it's um you know um how do we think about power and whether someone is complicit or or, or a victim so so starting with those themes I, I like to sort of burrow into those and uh yeah that's when the notes get get increasingly excitable we'll talk more about the birdcage library in just a second but on ge- in general how much are you like seeking these themes out how much are you looking at world events or maybe looking at things that are going on in your own life or other people's and and thinking oh, what's happening there what's what's the question that i need to ask there yeah i find well it's uh, if i have a seed um then sort of i i become sort of attuned to it um and i have i'm not you know religious um i not that particularly superstitious but i do um tend to find that once i'm on the track of a, a an idea books sort of find themselves that find their way to me um that which becomes sort of weirdly appropriate or or, or or useful so for example i'm reading the escape artist by jonathan friedland at the moment which is a um devastating account of um the first due to escape auschwitz um and so you know, uh, it's 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 being on that lookout and that kind of ma- that creates a virtuous cycle where you you being more attentive to the world um, results in it sort of paying paying you attention back if that doesn't sound too narcissistic. So um, yeah, it's just I guess opening your mind up and being in that state um, as much as you can is a really helpful way to to to, to start in that in that in, in that early stage. Last thing about the equipment. Uh, we get kind of like techie into software and fonts. So what do you write on and what, what font is your preference? <laughs> um, so I write on Microsoft Word. Um, I, I would love to try things like uh, Scrivener or whatever, which I'm told are, are very good in terms of plotting. Um, I'm not very good at plotting and uh, or organizing. I like to just chuck everything into a Word document and then regret it later. So that's my, my sort of... Um, uh way of doing things which i can't necessarily recommend um in terms of my uh my fonts so i can only think about a book differently if um once i've written it i can then change it into times new roman because I, I, I feel like times new roman is the proper font for a book but i can't write in that because it feels too much pressure so i just go with the default calibri um which is which you know has its has its merits and weaknesses um and then yeah change it into something later when i'm reading so it feels like a slightly different book uh, sometimes i like to upload it onto kindle but to my immense frustration i haven't been able to make that work this time around so i was sort of reading on the computer well they do make it very hard Mm, i know very frustrating like amazon flying flying to the moon or wherever they're going now like it's (laughs) shocking that they just can't make that simpler i spent many many minutes uh, trying to resolve it and failed completely so if any of your listeners have any ideas how to how to make it work then i'm all ears so i wake up at seven ish um I try not to uh, sit there reading um, my my newspaper apps or whatever on on the iPad or on the iPhone because I find that clutters my head immediately. Um, and I think Hilary Mantel didn't speak to anyone until she'd done her writing for the morning. Um, maybe that's maybe that's the golden the golden dream. But um, at the moment, I, I I sort of take a slightly phase back approach. So I do write first thing in the morning. Um, I will, yeah, sort of leave the house um, at eight thirty ish um, and go to go to the cafe or the or the library um, to work, and um, I'll do that probably for three or four hours. I find beyond that point, it becomes a sort of question of diminishing returns, unless I'm doing light editing, although. I've never really found editing light, so so maybe that's just me um, uh, 
dreaming there. But yeah, so I will be um, writing from from that point. Um, I don't necessarily have a word count. Um, in the first draft, I will. Uh, probably, you know, I'm trying to do about 1500 words on a good day. Um, there was a point when I was writing The Dictator's Wife that I somehow got to 4000 words a day. I don't know how I did that. It's, ne- it's never happened, you know, before or since. Um, so that will be um, and, and then, of course, with editing, you're taking words out as much as putting words in. So word count becomes sort of moot anyway. Um, so once I've done that, um, then I will, yeah, I, I, I'll probably have some lunch and then move on to my day job, um, which I do part time. I have huge respect for writers who um, uh, write full time or indeed write while working full time. Um, I think either of those things is a very impressive thing to be able to to focus on. But yeah, so I work full, full uh, part time. And so I'll do that in the afternoons. And uh, yeah, then probably fit in a bit of exercise so I don't go too stir crazy. I used to work out before um uh before writing and actually find myself too tired and um, sort of the, the thoughts after that tend to be a bit mushy so I try not to do that now um but yeah in the mornings when it's fresh is the is the golden time for me how, how is the rest of your day getting back to the part-time job when you've been creating all morning are you how exhausted are you and like it, it, how easy is it to put away thinking about the next day's writing yeah it's 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 a great question i mean it's, it I, I find it it's very tiring <laughs> and you sort of you know don't get necessarily that much sympathy from people when you say yeah staring out the window for two hours this morning really draining um understandably but um so so yes it is very tiring i'm t- depending on what stage you're at you know as i say with these slightly mythical lighter edits it, it can be a bit less straining but um for certainly first draft is is is, is heavy lifting um as of the second that second draft and the third draft I suppose so um yeah so I do find that um quite intense um and obviously it varies day by day but in the afternoon my job is nothing to do with with writing um really and I find that incredibly helpful to not be having to use that part of my brain um obviously there are writers out there who you know are literary journalists um or or, or journalists or writers of another kind um and I yeah I, I have massive respect for them but I've for me, it's nice to be able to turn that bit of my brain off. Um, but that said, when I, yeah, you asked, you know, how do I stop thinking about the book? I suppose I never really do, which isn't a very healthy way of doing things. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I can turn it off or distract myself with, with work in the afternoons, but in the evenings or in relaxed times in the shower, um, it, it sneaks up on you for sure. And that's part of the joy, you know, is, is, is that, you know, constantly working to slot the universe into place around you um mentally speaking um but it's also definitely a frustration um that's also why i need to exercise because it takes me out of my head for a while uh, because i'm so so exhausted by the end of it what do you do the night before to kind of set your mind in the right place to start writing again fairly early the next morning is there anything mm. uh have a few drinks <laughs> no i don't know at this point it's uh, it's something that i've done for you know, I left um, uh, my job as a journalist um, uh, to, to write The Dictator's Wife in 2017. So I've been doing this for seven years now. And I think at the point where it becomes your job, it's it's hard. And that makes it harder and it makes it easier at the same time. So at this point, it's it's something that I have to do. And, and that is good because I don't have, uh, you know, it's 
I don't have to make myself do it so much. Um, I procrastinate less. Um, but it's also, you know, um, it's something you have to show up for day in, day out. I can't sit around and wait for the muse. Um, uh, I'm not even sure that's necessarily how it works. Um, so, so yeah, it's almost treating it like a job is, 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 is a bit more helpful, even if it does sound slightly less glamorous. You mentioned it in the morning, you kind of go at it for two, two or so hours and then there's nothing more left. Uh, Maybe maybe three maybe three to four hours more. Yeah, yeah sorry, three or four hours, and and then you, you know there's nothing more left. Um, like I guess describe that feeling. Like, what is it like? A, a lot of authors I chat to write very specifically to a word count, um, but you're doing it until you're kind of drained with it. What what's that like? <laughs> Sounds quite drastic when you put it that way. Um, yeah, it's. It, yeah. I mean, it varies, right? Some days go like a dream and you feel it just flows and it comes out and and, it, and it's easy. Um, and I'm sure, you know, so many writers live for those days. I, I, I certainly do. Um, and other times it's it's more mechanical and you just have to, you have to do it. Um, and it is slightly pushing up, pushing a rock up a hill. Um, I suppose my tendency is to, to always overwork rather than underwork. And I've learned that if I slightly feel like I'm standing in my head surveying a scorched vista then that's probably a good time to 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 stop um as I say I find work out perennially helpful um but it's uh, otherwise there's there's it's very difficult to hold yourself to account as an author because no one's making you do it even your publishing publishers and so on of course you know they're that they're keeping an eye on things but the, the deadlines are so long you know you might have a year a year and a half two years beyond to to write a book so day to day the only person keeping you accountable is is yourself so that's the way that I've learned to calibrate myself is is kind of just keep going um until that four hour mark um if I can and if, if it stops earlier then that's okay too I think you have to be forgiving and you mentioned when you were writing the dictator's wife you could be cracking up four thousand words a day um like, why do you think that was? What was going on in the difference in your, I guess, your writing speed or your your energy? Like, uh, maybe you were just new to it. What's happening? Yeah, I was young and ignorant. Um, no, well, I, I wasn't. Um, I quit uh, journalism and gave myself a year to write um, to write a book, and um, with typical sort of youthful ignorance and arrogance, um, didn't necessarily know what I was going to write before I um, before I started on that year. And so, so I spent several months in Eastern Europe and I was just traveling around, um, uh, writing, um, full time as well as researching the book, which is set in a fictional country based on Eastern Europe. Um, and it was, you know, a fantastic time. Um, you know, I arrived in Bucharest in February and, um, there was snow several feet deep on the ground and, um, my Airbnb host was a bit late to meeting me and, uh, and said, I'm so sorry, I've just been at the protest. And I was like, what, what protest? Um, and turned out the Romanians were having the biggest protest they'd had since 1989, which um, given I wanted to write a book about post-Cold War um, power and um, the sort of fallout from the dictators of that time was, you know, uh, pretty pretty amazing from my point of view um less so obviously from the romanians um but yeah so, so i went on to the protest that night 300,000 people in their parliament square and me and my new friends got tear gassed and ended up in a in a bar beneath a an abandoned palace so it was a kind of extraordinary um introduction to the to the um what it was going to be like to writing writing a book and yeah so, so by that time i i you know i i find when i 
um, I'm writing a book, I sort of have to trick myself into writing it. So I started, you know, small with 500 words a day and, and built up to that sort of 4000 words um, by the end of that uh, four month period. But I was I was just doing that. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything else beyond sights, sightseeing, soaking up that environment and um, yeah, writing that book. So you gave yourself a year to write that book and you were going fairly relentlessly, but at a, also it has to be said, like quite a luxurious way of writing, like traveling around, even if some places you stayed might have not been that nice, but not everyone gets the opportunity to do that. And then you're writing the Birdcage Library and, and now you're writing whatever comes next. How are you transitioning? How is the feeling of, all right, this is now a like a like a proper job, like I've got contracts, I am paid to do this. How How is that change been yeah I mean I was look I was hugely lucky to be able to quit my job I mean I, I you know it saved up um it was a plan that came into um you know something that I planned for about almost a year before I actually did it um uh I had some very patient parents who let me move back move back in with them for six months or so and then towards the end of that year I I, I got a job again um but, um, you know, not having kids or a mortgage um, or any ties when I was, you know, I was 25, 26. So um, it was a you know, useful stage of my life to be at um, without doing that. And, and, and then, yeah, now, now, you know, I got that two book contract, which I'm so, you know, I feel incredibly lucky to have. Um, and, and now I have this, yeah, it is now my job. And I think it took a while to um, process that because, you know, it's obviously what I always wanted when I set out to write a, um, a book I always hoped I'd be I'd be published um but it's um you know it's it it's a different way of of being it's a different way of creating um I think it was Agatha Christie who said that being a professional writer is um I'm going to mangle it but writing when you when you don't want to when you don't feel like it and you you're not particularly um writing anything good <laughs> whereas I think I think you know if you're writing for the love of it there's a purity to that and there's a joy to that which um uh which can become more elusive when you're doing it um professionally quote unquote so yeah it's just something that I've had to to, to make my peace with as I say it makes me get up in the mornings and just do it a bit more um, than it might otherwise would um, but you have to be careful to you know keep the passion of it and, and 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 not sort of lose that lose that creative magic I think there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We'll be back with more from Freya in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show and you've learned a lot of tips and you would like to help us carry on bringing you tips, the easiest way to do that is to head over to patreon.com forward slash writers routine and become a backer. Pledge to support us for as long or as short as you like with as much or as little as you fancy. Anything goes an extraordinarily long way. It's our main funding for the show uh, over on our Patreon. Backers help us carry on and, and you can help us keep going with that. For it, you get merch. There is bonus content. You join a writing community where we're always talking over there. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And I really appreciate anything that you can send over to us. It means a lot. It helps me dedicate the time that I need to bring you this show, to organise things, read the books, chat to the authors, everything. It just helps us carry on. And you can help that happen by getting to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Freya Berry chatting through her new novel, The Birdcage Library. We run through how much she knows of the story before she sits down to write it. How does the roadmap look to her when she sits in the car? Also, the research that the novel involved doesn't sound like a bad way to do a job, I'll be honest. And we get back to it chatting through the book and the very first idea that she had for it. Well, I was actually reading um, uh, an essay while uh, writing The Dictator's Wife. Um, it was a an article about two, well, it was about a history of captive birds. And uh, I'd came, come across this Italian proverb they have within, within, the, um, within the essay, um, which actually became um, the epigraph for one of the epigraphs for, for the Birdcage Library. And it says, um, the caged bird sings not for joy, but for rage. And I, I thought, okay, that's just a, a fantastic image. And of course, the, you know, a caged bird is a very powerful um, metaphor in so many ways. And so I was thinking about that and, and, and I discovered these uh, two brothers, these two real life brothers in, in Gilded Age, New York. So the late 19th century, um, they were two immigrant um, teenagers who set up selling canaries um, and they found their fortune selling canaries to gold rush miners um, and then began selling, you know, zebras, hippos, um, lions to the likes of P.T. Barnum, the greatest showman, because this was the era of circus and of spectacle. Um, and so, you know, the Birkage Library is, is dual timeline um, and half of it is set um, in Gilded Age Manhattan, this wife of an exotic animal dealer um, who's heavily based on these these two real-life brothers um, and uh, her mysterious vanishing um, 50 years before um, the other timeline, which is set in a Scottish castle, and this female explorer discovering her old diary. So th- there's a lot that, that came from that initial article that you read. I want to know what kind of happened next. So you've read this article, you've discovered this story about the brothers selling their canaries. Uh, Like what's the very next thing that you remember doing before you like went off and did your research and then started writing? Yeah. So I, so I love research. I think it's the journalist in me. So it's when I get a, a nugget like that, I like to read as much as I can, um, read as much, um, 
nonfiction as I can around that um, and just see what see what grows. Um, I like taking real life and then sort of layering um, above and around it. So I think then I was researching these brothers um, and and reading old newspaper articles and um, reading um, books about birds and just sort of running with that metaphor, particularly birds of paradise. Um, so, you know, um, the London Library is a fantastic resource. resource. Um, everything is ordered by um, subject matter, which lends itself to great browsing. So doing that. Um, and then around that time, this is sort of what I mean about slightly about 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 my strange belief in fate in this area of my life and, and no other. Um, I found myself in a um, country house where they had the desk of Freya Stark, um, who was an explorer and World War II intelligence um, officer, an amazing woman. Um, and I'm actually named after Freya Stark. My dad met her while she was um, in Yemen in her seven, she was her 70, in her seventies and um, and still traveling. And her desk was round like a um, or circular, like a map of the globe. And I just thought, this 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 is an amazing woman. And, and suddenly it clicked into place. This um, all this research I've been doing about um, birds and animals and this age of the collector and the explorer. Um, and then the idea of having a female explorer um, is slightly more, you know, in, in slightly more recent times in the 1930s um, and, and melding those two timelines together. And then you, you you need to research. So you go off to Scotland, right? How, like at a very basic level, how do you know where to go? Who do you give a call to look around? What happens? So I was, um, so Scotland sort of came to me before I came to Scotland, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I've been going to Scotland for years. I got married on the West Coast. My husband's family live on the border. Um, I've I've been in love with that um, that part of the world for for a long time. So it was, it didn't need to be set in Scotland. I considered it setting it elsewhere. And then I thought, you know what, um, the pull of a Gothic Scottish Highlands castle is, is too much for me to resist. So let's find a way to get my explorer, you know, to Scotland rather than say, you know, some more exotic climb. And although in the book, she's just returned from Papua New Guinea. So I knew where to start. And, um, and actually it was lucky that I did because lockdown hit before I really could go anywhere or do, or do anything. Um, so, um, you know, after after lockdowns or around lockdowns, I would I, I would go up um, to, to Scotland and also to places like Tring, which 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 also feature in the book. But but for a large part, I was relying on my on my memories of the place. Um, I also spoke to a couple of Scottish lads, which um, I was able to get um, you know friends or friends of friends to to connect me with, um, and they were telling me about what it's actually like to live in a castle. I did a lot of website research. It was, you know, um, it wasn't as sexy as um, traveling around Eastern Europe um, for for the previous book, but it was, you know, I hopefully got the job done. Well, I have to say, in a very small way, Freya, you're talking to a Scottish laird now. No, <laughs> you have some vast, uh, crumbling, crumbling castle uh, that I should know about. Oh, well, I, I, I think I've got an acre in the, or no, po- possibly a square metre of a vast crumbling castle. I, I'm a member of Surrey Cricket Club, right? And and you go, you, you go into this like rustic old pavilion, and it just feels like a place where someone should have some authority. So I got one of those like twenty pound laird certificates online. So technically, I think in everything but a credit card and a passport, I can call myself a laird. Oh my goodness! I mean, if you told me this at the start of the program, I'd been too intimidated to to say anything. So it's lucky we're just coming to this now. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> it would it would have saved you a lot of a lot of research as well for the book. Um, when you then come to write the thing, you've done your research. How much? 
planning have you done? Like, how, how much do you know about where the road trip of your story is taking you? Do you know where you're going to end up? Can you even see the next chapter through the windscreen? Oh, I love the poetry. Um, so, yes. So I, I once heard someone say that, uh, and I think this is mostly true, um, if you set out to write a story about a man who takes his dog for a walk and you end up writing a story about a man who takes his dog for a walk, um, well, A, that sounds like a really boring story, but B, um, you know, you kind of failed because your story didn't hasn't changed from its inception to its completion. Um, you know, you didn't let it grow with, uh, underneath your hands. And so... I'm very aware of that. You know, there's, there's, you know, there is a magic and a mystery to writing. That's sort of, I'm sure why so many people do it, myself included. Um, there's a, a subconscious, um, almost, yeah, without sounding too woo-woo, um, otherworldly element, certainly a, a mysterious, mysterious element. And um, that starts when the story starts to come alive beneath your hands. That's when I get really excited. And it's not something that can be forced. Um, so I like to plan. I like to have my, I like to have my map, um, to go into your metaphor. I like to know roughly my destination. Um, but I don't want to plan all the little alleyways and, 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 and so on. I want to have my sort of key points in mind. Um, my, um, my service stations, etc. God, I'm really stretching this now. Um, but, um, but yeah, I want to also be surprised. Um, that's really important to me. And, and so when I was writing at Birdcage Library, um, you know, it, I started it and then suddenly it became um, almost a, um, a treasure hunt and that a bookish, a literary treasure hunt, I suppose, the clues, clues found in old books. And I hadn't thought about that. That just sort of happened a couple of chapters in and I thought, OK, well, let's well, let's run with it. So it's that ability to um, to seize upon ideas when they present themselves to you and leaving the space for them to do that, which is really important um, to me. That said, you know, I would like to be a much better planner. I find, um, you know, character work really boring. Um, and I know I shouldn't. Uh, you know, I used, I have at times used sort of templates about what their favorite flavor of cake might be, et cetera. And in, in, in the end, and just bored myself to tears. In the end, I just find myself going for walks and sort of chatting to them in my head almost, or indeed out loud, actually, I realize, um, which, which will get you some funny looks. If, if you're trying to get to a final destination vaguely, and you know, as you say, the service stations along the way, how hard is it when you keep going to, to kind of wrestle it back? So you're writing the Birdcage Library. When you start, maybe you have an idea, but then it becomes a treasure hunt. Does that completely pull you off in an alternate timeline, really? Do you find yourself swerving back at the end, maybe quite slowly towards the original vague ending that you thought might happen? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, the reason I went down that um, path was because I could see that it cohered to the to the whole. Um, so yeah, I think it's about having that, you know, idea of what you want the whole to feel like, if not what it actually will look like in every detail. Um, and, and then when those ideas come along, you know, thinking, okay, does this, does this feel true and cohesive to that? So it's a slight, it's, it's definitely a slight double vision. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if, if you, if I don't bear in mind enough of, um, uh, of what I want out of this book, I end up painfully reverse engineering things over the course of years, which, you know, I, I you know, had to do with a dictator's wife because I, you know, I'd never written a book before. It was really my first time. I had no idea what I was doing. So, so yes, I kind of learned the hard way that planning is, is useful um, in its, um, in, in its way. So it's a juggling act really. Uh, your novels, particularly the dictator's wife, uh, are written in, I guess, a literary style. I mean, they've been, uh, commended for 
the, the 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 prose and almost how poetic it is how much when you're writing are you thinking about the next word that comes along thank you um yeah i mean i again i'll, I'll go back to philip pullman him talking about the shape of sentences um so you know i i, I like to pay attention to the writing um to the to the words themselves um you know that lyrical edge is is is, is important to me um i sort of you know, I have to rein myself in. Um, my tendency is definitely to overwrite rather than um, underwrite. So I've, you know, slowly over the years had to try and sort of rest with that, um, with that impulse. But yeah, so so it's yeah, it's more about the sound, the rhythm um, for me, and then the words to fill that sort of slot into place. Um, hopefully, um, if it, if it's a good day. If not, then you sort of have to drag it out yourself or go, or go back to it later after much banging of heads against walls. Uh, and and lastly, I think I mean we we've spoken about the, I guess I guess the change in in writing your first book and then figuring out this is a job so you need to make money. But the dictator's wife did come with 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 some praise and some success. How much pressure did you kind of feel then moving on to the Birdcage Library? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's a funny thing because it's you know the, certainly the first time you write a book you don't know that you can do it so just having done it is is, is the achievement um and, and should always be the achievement I suppose um and yeah the second time round, I so I started writing the Birdcage Library while um uh just before The Dictator's Wife came out which was actually in retrospect very helpful because I didn't have that pressure baked in um you know from the beginning it was all still to be played for um and having security of a of, of a two book contract was was helpful and that i knew that you know um i, I didn't have that pressure of, of of finding a publisher at the at the other end um I, I you can't really think about it to be honest and and obviously you know like praise is is lovely um but it doesn't it, it's not something you can sit down at your keyboard with um or you know even if i could then i then i, then I wouldn't um you know it's at the end of the day it's yourself and a page and you just trying to make the you know you, I, i'm just living for those moments where just for a moment the universe sort of reaches out to me and makes sense just for a second everything slots into view um and that's what i live for um everything else is you know um cherry cherries on cakes but yeah it's 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 not something that i i i, I gave a great deal of thought to um which i think was probably the right thing to do unwittingly And that is it for this week's episode of Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Freya Berry for coming on the show. That brand new book is The Birdcage Library. It is out right now. We are back with a brand new author sharing more of their writer's routine uh, next week on the podcast. In the meantime, make the most of that fantastic plotter deal. They are supporting the show to the end of the year. Get to go.plotter.com slash routine. Also, you can get in touch using the contact page at writersroutine.com and you can back us over at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine so we can keep bringing you these episodes. And I will see you next week with a brand new author. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.